Do you like good boogie like the real boogie woogie? Hear the jukebox singing, get the dance hall swinging. Welcome everyone to Backtracks Aerosmith Revisited. My name is Corey Morissette. Joined, as always. Oh, that's right. He's not a beautiful girl, but he is a sexy, sexy son of a bitch. The sexiest man in rock and roll podcasting, Scott K. Haskin. How you doing, Scotty? I'm doing great, Corey. But you know... I, I'm never going to hear that theme, that theme song and not think of Much Too Late for Goodbye and then the tape just starts slowing down as it detunes. <laughs> That's just what I hear. But, Corey, we have a guest. We do. Who is it? There are so many Where's my theme song? That was it. <laughs> oh, that was my theme song. Right. Do, you, do you have I theme it was, music? I, well, uh, apparently... Um, I don't have it on me, but apparently it's I Hate Winnipeg. I don't know. That's what the Seaside's doing. <laughs> yeah, that is true. Here, here I'll, I'll give you this one. I, I, just I ain't giving anybody a run around. <laughs> it's the one and only Sean McGinnity from the Sean Geek and Fast Fred Podcast. How you doing, Sean? I am doing well. I am doing well. Thank you so much for coming on our little Aerosmith show here. I know when I asked you, you said, well, I've been on all your other shows and, you know, I'm still here. So I guess I'll do one more. We well, appreciate I got to do, do, do them all. It's like, uh, you know, walking all the bases in baseball. There you go. <laughs> touch them all, yeah. Sean. This is the yeah, last one. All. So for all we have Ultimate Catalog Clash, I guess we got to get you on mm-hmm. that one. Oh, I told you oh, I was okay. coming on that one. I, I don't know. I don't know what the next, what the next band is going to be, but I'm pretty excited. Uh, everybody was too, except for uh, Kevin. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I think he's taking it well. He, I think he so warmed too. up to it a little bit. Uh, but uh, that episode uh, should be, well, the the season finale where we reveal the band came out today. Well, and then oh, the, 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 the first, the first half did. Because you rambled on for oh. so long, Scott, we split it into two. But when, oh, excellent. When this show drops, uh, the cat will be out of the bag. So, Sean, if you want, we can let you in on the secret right now. Do we need some time? <laughs> or no? No? Uh, is that what no. it is? No. Okay. Uh, Guns N' Roses is definitely on the list. But I'm waiting for okay. them to release their next really shitty album so that we, we can kind of cover them all. Oh, yeah. Because every be new song they've dropped has sucked. Like, and, and yeah. pretty bad. Yeah. Oh, no. it's It's horrible. Yep. Nope. Yeah, they haven't done that many albums, have they, for a band that's been together for that long? Nope, they did uh, Appetite, then they did uh, Lies, which is kind of a half-live, uh, half-studio thing. Then they mm-hmm. did both Use Your Illusions, and they did Spaghetti Incident, which was the uh, covers record, and then they yep. did uh, Chinese Democracy. Wow, that's not a lot for a band that's been no. together, what, 30 years? Uh, well, they couldn't get along in the studio, right? Yeah. They just can't get along. I wonder and, why. And now they're releasing just terrible, terrible music. But you know who's not releasing terrible music lately? I don't think anyway. Is the band recovering in season two of the Ultimate Catalog Clash? It's Metallica. Ooh! But here is the here is the kicker though, uh, because Metallica has a pretty big catalog. I told Kevin pick a number between one and three, so one, two, or three. Uh, he picked two, Ooh. which is '90s Metallica. So I we separated. If he would have picked number one, that would have been uh, Kill 'Em All, uh, Master of Puppets, Ride the Lightning, and and Justice for All, he yeah, picked the first two. Four, yeah. yeah, so we got the Black Album, Load and Reload, and had he picked three, we would have got Death Magnetic on through 72 seasons. So. Yeah, you have to split those up. Yeah. There's too many albums there. 
Yep. So we're starting with uh, the Black Album, and uh, we've already recorded one episode. We're recording the second one this week. And uh, I tell you, episode one, side eight of the Black Album is three songs, and it took us two hours to record. He had a lot of thoughts. (laughs) Well, I mean, Blackened is such a... Oh, yeah. No, that's the other... That's Injustice for All. What's the first one on... uh, Is it... It's not Inner Sandman. It's Inner Sandman, yeah. Oh, it is. Okay. And the B-side, the B-side to Inner Sandman was... Anybody know? Oh, I have no idea. It was Stone Cold Crazy. Oh, yes. Yeah. That's not even on the album. No. Interesting. It did Because we bought the same... And we we bought the we bought the the cassette single because the album wasn't out yet, and that was the B side. Wow, I remember cassette singles. Yep, I think that's <laughs> I how did. I got Bread Fan, if I remember right. Yeah, that probably would have been on there. There's another one that yeah. was on Garage Inc. But hmm. so, um, Sean, are you a fan of uh, '90s era Metallica? That's where I started. So me too. Oh. I would say yes. I actually I own the album. I used to make my own mixtapes back in the day and sell them. I, and uh, every mixtape I made I always had a Metallica song. So it would have like a few dance tracks or something, not like more funk and stuff. And then I would throw in a Metallica track in with all like the James Brown and Funkadelic and all that stuff just to mm-hmm. kind of throw things off. Lars, if you're listening, it's Sean McGinnity MC. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure Lars loves funk. I mean, come on. Man. Oh yeah, Lars is a big fan of all types of music, though. So that season two, we're having a lot of fun on that one. Hopefully, you'll join us on that ride as well, and maybe we'll get you on the sure. season wrap, and you can give us your thoughts on uh, on Metallica and how the season went uh, for season two. We're, wait, we're game. wrapping in the finale. Is that is that where we're going, or the season he's, wrap? Like, he's what? trying to make sure I don't make it two hours again. No, if we get you and Sean on there. It's going to be a good four hours, I'm sure, but. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Both talkers. But uh, before we get going, Sean, maybe let's uh, tell the folks who maybe uh, haven't heard uh, you guest on my other shows. Tell us a little bit about uh, your podcast. It's one of my all-time favorites, the Sean Geek and Fast Fred podcast. It's a car accident, really. (laughs) That's a good way to describe it. I I was thinking about like the last like three or four episodes. They're all over the place. Like we have, so I, I basically get bored. I have like a, I must have ADD eight. I can't even say the words I'm ADHD? getting. ADHD. Anyway, yes, thank you. Because I, I like I I like to have the show be whatever it is that particular week. So whatever we're feeling. So Todd might want to talk about batteries, or he might want to talk about smoke detectors, or he might want to talk about the government ripping people off. You know, it, it's whatever Todd and I feel like talking about. But in recent years, we've also added uh co-host with karen and co-host with the Roray employee from the metal shop so we we kind of just do whatever we feel like doing that week and there's no set format so it's just it's all about conversation i love that you know that's one of the things on on the haskin cast podcast that my guests really seem to like is that i don't sit down and write out you know here's 10 questions i have to ask them we have to talk oh, about what, whatever they're promoting, you know, that, that has to be done. But then instead of just saying, okay, you answer that, move on. There's conversation that just gets lost. And for them, it's just the same questions, interview after interview. Cause I usually work with people that are on press tours and uh, I want to make it fun for them, but there's just so much that gets lost because people don't care to listen to what they actually say and dig into anything. They just have to hit their questions and then they're out of time. 
Wow, you said it all right there. Yeah, I, I like I like that's what I really like about your show is that um, you you really get to dive into something and really flesh out thoughts and feelings that other shows just don't do. No, it and it's like oh we're at the thirty minute mark okay well let's jump on to the next seg segment like there's we we don't believe in that we just let it go where it is and yeah it ends up being a three hour cast, then I've got three episodes on my hands, you know, we right, just let the right. conversation go where it goes. Everything from Canadian politics to that bitch and Murray too. <laughs> let me just say that I'm a Canadian icon and um, they built a museum for me, you know, as oh, I'm the God. most influential woman in Canadian music history. Look, Shania Twain. <laughs> <laughs> that's, a, that's a really bad Todd impression. I don't know what the hell you were doing there. <laughs> Oh man, I heard Shania Twain's coming back to Vegas. Oh, like a residency? I have heard rumors, but it it has not been confirmed yet. I heard she was coming down there Gwen... just to see you. Well, that would be nice. Yeah. I I would not mind that. Gwen Stefani is coming back. I would not I, mind Gwen. that. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, what about Gwen? I'd be okay with that. Yeah, Gwen's coming back. I don't know what dates yet, but uh, also she's to supposed see you? to be back. Also to see me, yeah. Uh, Scorpions are doing a um, a residency. Really? For like a, three dates and then they're leaving and then they're coming back and doing another part of the residency later. Tickets aren't bad. They're like $75. The meet and greet prices have not been announced. And that's the one I'm, I'm most curious bucks, about. 75 really? Yeah. Well, with the, the service Scorps, charges and everything, it's like 112 They put on such a but... great show. Like, you got to go see the Scorps, even if you don't I've get I've seen them a couple oh, yeah. times. Yeah. yeah, I've seen yeah, them a couple times, awesome. yeah. Yep, good band. Talk about a band, I don't think that gets their due, right? He's a Scorpion singer. They're yeah. pretty phenomenal. I was just listening to Pot of Thunder, and they were doing a Scorpion song, right? And they yep. were just talking about how, like, but they're selling out all the time, but it's like people like Scorpions. Yeah. But their shows sell out all the time. Yeah. Like, they can do state. It's like, oh, the Rocky Like a Hurricane guys? Yeah. Like, oh, they got a pretty diverse catalog of uh, wanting to sleep. They really with do. They're like White Snake. They're just... <laughs> yeah, <he's> exactly, yeah. <laughs> I've covered a couple of their albums on my show. Uh, Love It, or... um. Love Drive and Animal Magnetism. I'm, I'm, really okay. I'm going to go back. Yeah. I'm yep. going to go back and listen. Yeah, make a <laughs> note. Go, go back. Listen to the Haskell cask. I per personally like like the older Scorpions. Like I had I had an old cassette. It was a greatest hits, breather, like big fame. And it just had that, it had a European sound to the music. There was like a lot of different styles and stuff. It was just, it was just so phenomenal. Mm -hmm. uh, they're amazing. Yeah. Well, what they, podcast they, are we doing right now? We're doing Aerosmith. Who? <laughs> I, I will say. No, no, a, it's a, not to guess a, who. Come on. <laughs> a last note on the Scorpions. I will say, and, and this I say this very openly in my uh, review of Animal Magnetism. I think Animal Magnetism is the sexiest song ever written. So it's not, not Beautiful Girls from Extreme? That's a close second, but no. Okay. It's not something by Debbie Gibson? No, she doesn't write sexy songs. She writes cute songs. I, I just, and, I just know that she has a hold songs. on your heart. That's all. Well, that, that's yeah, why he turns away Shania Twain and Gwen Stefani. It's like my heart belongs to Debbie Gibson. I'm sorry. She calls the cops when I show up at her house. I mean, Still? she just lives oh. on the other side of town. Come on, just so that's, Vegas that's just girl. Hurts. Yeah, she do is, a yeah. whole say anything uh, thing. Get a boombox, play Beautiful <laughs> Girls by Extreme, and just wait for her to. You know, shoot I'm, I'm, you. A hold, I'm holding up a vinyl record player. I mean, it doesn't <laughs> get it go. doesn't get more romantic <laughs> there than you that. Go. 
All right. Maybe let's get the train back on tracks, uh, as it were. So what we do on this show, folks, if if you couldn't tell from the first fucking 20 minutes here, is uh, we uh, got ourselves a little dice here. It's a six-sided dice. On this dice, we're going to sign it some songs. Six songs by the wonderful band known as Aerosmith. We're going to roll that fucking thing. We're going to come up with a song, and we're going to play it, and we're going to chat about it. What's the point? Well, Scott and I are endeavoring to create the ultimate Aerosmith mixtape. Do you guys remember mixtapes? I do. I'm old enough. Uh, Sean, he's, oh, yeah. he's pretty young. Uh, I think he was he was CDs, but uh, but Scott, you're, yeah, you're I'm old. older. I'm probably older than you guys. You, you don't look I, it I, though. Scott's seventy four, so I made mixed reel to reels. <laughs> yeah. So uh, we have two side story mixtape, nine songs aside, because we can't afford one of those high flute and fucking one twenties that they had, you know, later on in the eighties. So side A is our deep cut. Side B is our all time Aerosmith top nine. If we roll a single. Uh, it could go on side B, which is the all-time Aerosmith top nine. And uh, if it's a good song, we have to discuss if we want to take a song currently off the mixtape and put that one on. If it's a deep cut, we're doing the same thing, just on side A. So if we roll a song here tonight and really, really like it, we're going to bring up the mixtape and we're going to decide if it deserves a spot on it. Now, because we have a guest and because he's one of my favorite humans in the entire country of Canada, Sean McGinnity, we let him pick the songs on the dice. We put our, our normal dice aside. Because let's face it, it, it's been giving us some stinkers lately. Joni's Butterfly uh, was on there. But the last song we did last week, Love in an Elevator, a big song off Pump. We loved it. It's on the mixtape. Sean, I'm getting the feeling you're a fan of Pump too, because you put three Pump tunes on your dice tonight. Yeah, I, my, my first Aerosmith album was The Greatest Hints, right? And then Which one? They I have 17. Uh, it was the, the initial <laughs> one. Yeah, the initial one, it's got like the, the red and white logo. Okay. It's the original one. Yep, the first right? one. So that was my first. That was my first. And that's what our band used to use to practice to, to, to learn Aerosmith songs. And then it was, you know, um, Permanent Vacation, which I didn't really like as much. It, it was good. There was great moments on there. But when Pump came out, I'm like, okay, this is a, this is a great album as a drummer. It, 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 it that's, that's where I wanted it to be. It, it hit every mark I wanted. And as a, as a up and coming vocalist, that's where I wanted to be. So I practiced the hell out of that album. Well, and you picked some uh, great tunes off that. Let's just recap uh, the three songs from pump that are on our dice tonight. F I N E fine. That's a fucked up, insecure, neurotic, and emotional uh, young lust and what it takes. Now you might be thinking if you're a long time listener, we've done, we've done what it takes. Well, nobody did the live version. So tonight we are, we're not doing live versions anymore. We're just going with the studio cut. So this is what it takes from 1989's Pump. Uh, Scott, I know you're you're becoming kind of a fan of that record too, aren't you? I am, yeah. It's definitely starting to grow on me as I'm hearing a lot of these songs for the first time. I've been pretty impressed with this record. I, I have issues with some of the other ones that have consistently not pleased me so far, but we've got a long way to go. All right, rounding off our dice here tonight, uh, a, a few other tracks you might know. Last Child, which is currently on our old dice as well, is back on this one here. Uh, Toys in the Attic uh, from the album of the same name and Train kept a rolling. So any way you look at it, we're going to roll a good one here tonight. I can't quite say the same for the show we did a few weeks ago, which we're going to talk about now. And our Twitter poll, let's talk about what our listeners thought of Joni's Butterfly. And I like our dice because there's two songs I actually know. Our Twitter poll for Joni's Butterfly, and we did include uh, the prelude to Joni and her butterfly, 
uh, I had put on the poll, should this go on the mixtape or fly away butterfly? And we had an astounding 12.5% that thought this should go on the mixtape out of our eight votes. And 87.5 said, get the fuck out. Now, I get that. I would like to hear from the person that voted yes and and understand what they see in this song that we didn't see. And so would Michael Green. He added uh, a little note that said, just had the chance to listen today. Yeah, sorry, this song is garbage. Was that 13% that voted to put it on the mixtape? I'm not hearing what they are hearing. Cult of Mariani, which is, of course, John Mariano, our former co-host. Yeah, I mean, I... I would be curious to know, but here's the thing. It could be an an association to a memory of when they heard the song, what was going on in their life. I mean, there's all kinds of reasons that somebody could upvote a song. I'm sure that when we get to Love in an Elevator, last week's episode, we're going to have a split. And I think it's going to be people that are just sick of hearing it will Mm. be downvoting it as opposed to, I, I like the song. I've just heard it too much. Um, I don't know. It's it's hard to say, but yeah, this this was not a popular tune for any of us. Well, and going back to Love in an Elevator, when we played Price is Right, it it would have been played well over a thousand times since 1989. So, yeah. Uh, wow. Well, I actually thought the number might have been higher, to be honest. Yeah. Just screaming audiences everywhere. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's absolute classic tune. But mm-hmm. speaking of classic tunes, we've got six of them on the dice right now. Uh, Sean, you're our guest. What are you in the mood for? Which of those six are you hoping we roll here tonight? You know what? I'm been melancholic all week, and I think I want to hear uh, what it takes. Okay. All time great, great tune. Uh, Scott Haskin, how about you? I'm gonna go with that one too because I have some uh, I have some thoughts on oh. that song. Well, I tell you what, uh, Hot Drax whipping honey. What do you say? I got a brand new record that I want to play. It's F I N E fine. That's what I'm hoping mm-hmm. we come up with here tonight. But as always, let's uh, throw it over to Steve and Tyler and uh, see what we come up with. And we're getting train kept a rolling. Rock and roll. Here we go. This is an all time classic. Not an Aerosmith classic, though. Uh, Originally written uh, way, way back. Uh, uh, Sean, what are some of your memories of uh, train kept a rolling? I just, it's just chugga 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 along it's just one of those great rockers it's fun to play on drums um it was uh at at the time our band was doing a lot of Aerosmith songs and this was like this was the first song this is the first song we played uh, of them all and this is this got everything going and got the band going and got you know get everything lubed up and we're all ready to go this was the one that that led it for us like it was just it's just a great fucking song Scott, how about you? As I recall, I liked this song when we did the live version of it. And I think I even said, I can't wait until we get to the studio version so I can hear the difference. And I don't remember the live song, so it'll just all be different for me. All right. Well, yeah, this is from uh, Get Your Wings, which was released uh, in my birth year, 1974. Uh, Recorded December 73 to January 74 at the record plant in New York City. Produced by Jack Douglas. Uh, he didn't produce the uh, debut, but he did start with the band here on Get Your Wings. Uh, Train Kept a Rollin', uh, originally written by Tiny Bradshaw and Howard Kay and Lewis Mann, uh, going all the way back to the 1950s, if I remember correctly, uh, but made popular uh, by the Yardbirds. 
which is the mm. band that you guys might be familiar with. Mm. There's a oh, yeah, right. young fellow by the yep. name of Jimmy Page, I believe, started out. Jeff Beck, also uh, in the Yardbirds. So, mm-hmm. uh, Train Kept Rolling was there. Uh, uh, they recorded that, I believe, in 65, if I remember correctly. So, uh, wow. Aerosmith, Aerosmith, big Jimmy Page fans, big Yardbird fans that decided to bust it out on uh, side two of Get Your Wings. This is the uh, second cut off side two, SOS, too bad, kicks off side two, and then we get into Train Kept Rolling. Uh, what do you say? Let's uh, get into it. This is Train Kept a Rolling. I, just, I love that line. Well, a lot of train and metadame. It, it just it sets it off so well. But again, I'm used to the live version where it's dead, like right off the like nice big, like you said, chugging, yeah. chugging. This is more of that kind of slow, kind of kind of blues, that jump blues, right? Kind of different way. Got a bit more sleaze. A little more sleaze. Yeah, the the stank factor is definitely in the high 90s here on this one. So and put some stank on it. It sounds a little more ACDC-ish to me. Mm. Okay, and and I don't. I know you're not a fan of that band. No, I'm not. Uh, I, I well, it's the vocals that really ruin it for me. They're very catchy musically, um, but I don't like the production on this. It really sounds like it was recorded in a sanitarium. I mean, the, the heavy padded walls, and it's so dry. Well, and is that kind of a, an artifact of uh, mid 1970s recording styles? Like, there's not a lot of uh, great productions. Early, I, I go back to like True. those first few Kiss albums, right? They sound yeah. horrid. Ooh, yeah, mm-hmm. good point. And this is much better than that, but I, I can see your point, Scott. It's definitely not, not pump for sure. Yeah, this sounds way better than our version of this song. Yeah, my old band. <laughs> yeah, because we recorded it in a small house in a room. It, it sounded horrible. This sounds great in comparison. Like we did not sound this good. I, I really want to hear your version of this now, Sean. You, you got to dig yeah. that up and send it to me at some point. Yeah, I got to dig it up. Yeah. She got the hands up. What kind of love to say? She was pretty from New York City. I'm walking down that old fair lane on the heat. I'm in love, but I just couldn't tell her so. Train kept rolling all night long. Train kept rolling all night long. Train kept rolling all night long. Train kept rolling all night long with a heel. Um, I like that he's he's kind of experimenting outside of the song a little bit, but it does it definitely doesn't feel like he's locked in like he normally is. You know, um, I, I will say the rhythm is great. I love the sound of uh, of Brad's guitar, by the way. That distortion level is perfect. Um, the drums are missing for me. I, I'm not hearing that big kick and, you know, sharp snare that we've gotten so used to. And when we go back to this album, I always forget how different they sound overall. Well, yeah, and considering last week was Loving an Elevator, right? From 89, yeah. this is way back in 74. Uh, miles away, especially when it comes to the drums, right? 
Like Bruce, I'm still feeling the kick drum from last week. Yeah, Bruce Fairburn really brought the the, the kick drum out uh, in Joey Kramer's uh, sound. But yeah, kind of buried here. And, and bass too, um, maybe not as prominent as we would like because uh, yeah. you like talking about Tom Hamilton and his bass playing there, Scott. And I got nothing to say about Tom yet. Yep. How about you, uh, Sean? You're, you're kind of digging it to this point, aren't you? I'm, I'm, you know what? I really like the dry sound. <laughs> it's <laughs> it's good. Just, it sounds so garage. Yeah. It just sounds like there's some punk band, you know, out of Boston. It just, it, I, it sounds very indie. It sounds very garage. Sounds very just ballsy. And I, and I like that. And I know the production quality is not, it's not like permanent which is almost too, too much in, mm-hmm. in another direction. I really like, I wish I could hear the bass and the drums more because those are the instruments I usually go towards, but I'm, I'm, I'm digging on the guitar right now, big time. Oh, me too. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of right there with, with Sean. I get what Scott's saying about the production, but uh, I'm not mad at the guitars at all, and I really kind of like the, the start-stop uh, kind of of that riff, right? Whereas, mm-hmm. uh, as and we get to the middle part of the song, it, it kind of speeds up too, where it's more kind of flows together. This dead. Da, 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 da. It's more ZZ Top yeah. style. Yeah. yeah, well said. Yeah, mm-hmm. I'm a big ZZ yeah. Top fan. Maybe that's what I'm kind of gravitating to. But... Huge fan. Yeah, I do that's like why the I'm structure. Yeah, I do like the structure of the song. Um, I, I'm, and I'll get past the production because that always, I mean, as an, a 30 year audio engineer, that's always going to be a thing for me. But uh, the structure of the song is pretty good. I feel like they're putting in a good performance. Um, but I also feel like this is that transitory time when Steven had changed his voice a little bit. He was really kind of mm. not there a hundred percent of where he would be. It was kind of in transition, but he sounds good. He's finding it more, especially on this track. You could tell, you know, you get yeah. that kind of, that kind of dirty yardbirds groove going, right? And, yeah. He's doing his, a, a couple of, yeah. Yeah. But he, he's not singing like a Muppet, like he was on the first <laughs> album. When, like all knees like like no 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 fuck off all right uh and lyrically and scott, back in the saddle again yeah, yeah kermit <laughs> the frog singing aerosmith there you go i forgot you do a pretty good kermit uh mm-hmm. lyrically though i was thinking about scott and his love affair with debbie gibson when with lines like i'm in heat i'm in love but i just couldn't tell her so isn't that what you told the judge well, I, well, my lawyer asked me not to get into this, but yeah. it's, it's really a matter of just, she just doesn't get it. I mean, if somebody loves you that much, you should just give in. That's the way you're, it is. you're in heat. You can't help it. <laughs> yeah, it's right. Like, I'm, I'm basically the cat orgy episode of South Park. There you go. <laughs> Let me take you to the heart attack cafe, Debbie. Come on. <laughs> Let's go see Penn and Teller. There you go.
Scott, what'd you think? There's a lot going on there. Um, I, I like the guitar solo, but it's interesting that he's saying in such a short range of notes, he's really not exploring like, like I would expect, but the rhythm section is really what got me in that last part. They, you know, Tom and Brad are just locked on together. And I think what's interesting about this is Tom is not doing Tom Hamilton things. Yeah. He's, he's really just locked on with Brad and that's it. And then you add Joey to that. And that is a tight rhythm section. You, you couldn't stick a credit card in between any of those guys. They're just solid. I tell you, Sean, ever since you brought up ZZ Top, that's like all I hear now. Like I, oh, that's just the perfect comparison, right? Mm -hmm. I can almost hear, um, uh, either Billy or, or, or the other guy singing here, like, they must have covered this song now. Now I'm thinking back. ZZ Top could have possibly covered this song. It's entirely possible. It's entirely possible. Billy Gibbons, big, big fan of Jeff Beck, too. So. Yeah. It would definitely oh, yeah. be in their wheelhouse. Hmm. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm, the, uh, now you were saying the, the, the notes that were happening here, there wasn't like a long, like a lot of thing going on. It was just yeah. like a lot of dunk. He was kind of keeping with the with the, with the rhythm. So he's mm-hmm. not going to play this long, you know, a long bit of notes. He's playing just short little bursts. Um, I I, I I I like that. It's like he's not he's not overplaying. He's he's playing to the song. Mm-hmm. He's playing to the groove, and he's not going to take away from the groove. I don't know. It it's good. Yeah, it's just I I, I was expecting him to go a little yeah. more well that's what he wider does. in range yeah so yeah. it's it's it feels restrained it doesn't sound bad it just feels restrained for him i tell you what i, I went looking on the uh, interweb and I, I couldn't find his easy top cover uh of uh train kept rolling but i did find jimmy page talking about zz top and vice versa where he called uh oh. ZZ, yeah he loves easy top uh he says uh yeah. zz top an incredible band that rock and roll is all about Wow. Big, yeah, and uh, wow, and then that's Billy a Gibbons, huge kudo. Oh, no kidding. And Billy Gibbons was talking about, uh, you know, Jimmy Page is one of the greatest. I would invite all of your readers to go check out the nightclub scene from the 66 movie Blow Up, where the Yardbirds are playing. They had Jeff Beck and Jimmy Page at the same time listening to the band doing Train Kept a Rolling. It's just ferocious. Both these guys had tone for days. That's from Billy Gibbons. Oh, man, yeah. I gotta go listen to that now. Yeah. Yeah, that's the, I haven't seen that, but that comment just wouldn't surprise me at all. So there you go. Uh, mutual admiration from uh, Jimmy Page and uh, Billy Gibbons and ZZ Tops. Could you Who imagine? Didn't like Billy. Could you Jesus. imagine though what that's like to be Billy Gibbons and get Jimmy Page's endorsement like that? I mean, that just he, he, that's incredible. And uh, Jeff Beck, for that matter, too. Jeff Beck actually played a few times with uh, ZZ Top. I remember they did a oh, wow on a live album. Really? I have a ZZ Tops. Uh, Jeff Beck came on and did a, a version of Rough Boy. Which is another song Jimmy Page oh. absolutely loves. Rough Boy from, uh, yeah, from Afterburner. Wow. <laughs> Incredible. So when are you doing the ZZ Top podcast again? Very soon. <laughs> Very soon. I'm looking oh, for man. a co-host, Sean. What do you think? Let's do it. I, I, I fucking love ZZ Top. ZZ I Pod coming it, soon. Oh, me too. Yeah, there you go. He's already got a name. That's how long it takes Corey to <laughs> come up pod, with yeah. another podcast. Like four seconds. It's funny. I, yeah, I've got I've got the bald head. I could be Silver Surfer any day. <laughs> I uh, I left the marketing in place. I left the voicemail for Pot of Thunder for their tenth anniversary, and I was talking about you know we had Chris Sell on the Van Halen show, but I, I have to create a couple of podcasts for 
for Andy and for Nick. For Andy, I guess I need a Faith No More podcast. How about we pod a oh, lot? God, yeah. So that was my Faith <laughs> No More. Pod a lot. Yeah. And there then, you go. And then for Nick, I know he really likes Slade, so about come on, uh, come on here the pod. Oh, nice. There you go. Names for days, I tell you. Just no talent. <laughs> no, nah, you're, you're talented as hell. Okay. Thanks, buddy. I covered the Faith No More album um, earlier. Was it this year, I think, or maybe last year? I can't remember now. I only know one album by them, and I absolutely love it, and then I just never listened to anything else. They which did. which one? Which one? Uh, I always call it the real thing, but that's not the actual album title, is it? It might be, actually. Is it the one with Epic and yeah. uh, Falling yeah. to Pieces? Yeah, yeah. Honestly, the the, the follow up album to that is is far Angel Dust far better. Yeah, really. Yeah. I'll have to give that yeah, a that, whirl. That's then. my favorite. That's think, my favorite. Yeah, sure. Angel Dust I think is widely considered their best record. Mm, yeah. Okay. Yeah. No, it's really good. Real Thing's pretty good too, though. I enjoy that one. Yeah. No, Real Thing's awesome. Yeah. Hmm. All right. Got me thinking about another no more show podcast. Then. There we go. Yeah. <laughs> l- l- let's hop back on this train, shall we? But before we kick into it, that uh, crowd noise is actually some wild crowd noise uh, from the concert for Bangladesh that Jack Douglas was also working on. So he just grabbed it from that project and put it over here. Hmm. Oh, so it's not... What? Yeah, they didn't do this. Yeah, this wasn't recorded live or anything. This is at the record plant. So he just took some wild audio from the concert for Bangladesh and put it here. See, I thought we were listening to the song, we stopped for a while, and then you put on the wrong song because everything <laughs> completely changed. Like the Yardbirds or something. You know? <laughs> yeah, like right then and there, it was just way different. Uh, that snare, while played perfectly, was way too loud compared to guitars that all of a sudden sounded really thin. That well, was like, Did they turn weird. up his, his snare or what? Like because we couldn't hear it before. Yeah, yeah, well, it sounds like it. And then they just turned up the the treble on the amp and and left out all the all the bottom end. All I just say, Scott, is is just the way because the guitar is going to kick back in. Your what you're hearing is just like the the train whistle, the ring ring, right? So kind of oh, low okay. in the background. Guitars are going to get a little bit louder here, I think, for you. Now that's what we're used to hearing from Aerosmith when they do train after rolling, right? Yeah. So did it suddenly go live? Like what happened there? No, that's still recorded. Because now I can hear the drums. Mm-hmm. Never really noticed it's, that. Before. It's almost like they had a filter on it that specifically kept the first half of the song mellow so that they could boost up the second half of the song even more. Perhaps. You, you know, know? I got to go back and listen to the Yardbirds version. Like, Maybe we were getting like the old 1950s at the beginning with that start-stop uh, mm. riff, and then mm. now they're kicking into Yardbird slash rock and roll slash Aerosmith mode here, and this is how we're used to hearing them do this song. 
you know why I didn't understand that that train transition was because we didn't have Steven Tyler going <laughs> or something. I mean, usually he's making a noise. <laughs> I don't think I could repeat that, but yeah. <laughs> Uh, you know, this this is the early Steven Tyler before he was all over everything. And so I, I think that's another thing that throws me off about these earlier songs is because he hadn't developed quite that style yet. And uh, yeah. <laughs> so now we know who's going to carry on Aerosmith after the uh, the final tour. But yeah, that's me. Yeah. It's do it. Um, but yeah, I think that's that's another thing that throws me off about these earlier albums is that he hasn't found that yet. So that's part of what feels empty to the. As much as I bitch about him doing it, it's still weird when it's not there. Mm-hmm. You, yeah. want, you want to know what else is weird? What? It's not Brad Whitford and Joe Perry on guitars on this track. What? No. Bob okay. Ezrin, uh, who is a uh, executive producer. Uh, on yeah. this record, brought in session guitarist Dick Wagner and Steve Hunter to perform the dueling solos on this song. Come on. Wow. What the hell? Holy. I, I, so I love, I love Bob Ezrin. Real? Yeah. I love Bob Ezrin, but why? What the hell? Well, and uh, I found a, a snippet from an interview with Dick Wagner, who, one of the guitar players from 2013. He, he said that none of the band were present when he came in to record. And he's not sure why Aerosmith's own guitarist didn't take care of business. He says, quote, I don't understand why those guys weren't there, he said. I still don't really know. I've never talked that much to any of them about it. I just did my job. I was a session guitar player. Hmm. Were, was, what was the drug situation at this point? You know, I don't think that bad. You know, this is album two. So, this is yeah. early, yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, Wagner also said Steve Hunter played the solos at the front and did fantastic. Then I played the whole section on the end which is supposed to sound like a live recording, but which really was in the studio. I tried to make it as live and as well as I could, and it seemed to work out pretty well. So Perry did the the actual guitar solo part, though. Possibly. Because it, it does sound like him. It does sound like him, but we're wondering kind of in that, that beginning section, well, it doesn't really sound like Joe. He's not really you know going up and down the neck or anything, right? Yeah. And you know that, that, that could have been uh, Steve Hunter. Who was uh, playing at the at the head of the song? So, but Bob Essen wasn't the producer on this album, right? No, he was an executive producer, is what he's listed as. Ah, uh, okay. Hmm. You know, the timelines is this before Ezrin became big? Uh, when was uh, Kiss big? Right around the same time, wasn't it? Seventy six for that for that album, but he he did um, Floyd before that. Yeah, and this yeah. was and Alice Cooper before that. He did Alice Cooper mm-hmm. before, so yeah, that was his kind of big yeah, one, yeah. I think, before this one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was even looking at the uh, additional musicians on Wikipedia. Steve Hunter, lead guitar and train kept rolling, first half. Dick Wagner, lead guitar and train kept rolling, second half. So this is like a Little Ain't Enough by Daily Roth, basically. Like, didn't he have those two guys helping out on that album as well? Was it those two? Yeah, it was those two. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. Pretty sure. Or at least one of the two. Well, it certainly explains the difference in sound. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm, interesting. I, I found a, a great quote by Steven Tyler about this song, too. Uh, Aerosmith, when they first started out, they were known as Chain Reaction, and they were a huge fan of the Yardbirds, and they landed a gig opening for them uh, in 1966. The Yardbirds wow. played Train Kept a Rolling at that show, and Steven Tyler watched from the edge of the stage and said, I quote, they knocked my tits off. <laughs> I can't get that visual out of my head. 
knocking. Yeah, okay. Yeah, that that is high praise from Steven Tyler. They knocked his tits off. Yeah, um, that's that's a new phrase for me. But yeah, I mean, I, I I'll have to hear the Yardbirds version. I, I'm sure I've heard it at some point, but I I can't recall it. But you know, I I'm thinking about Aerosmith, the band. How do you? How do you just let somebody else come in and record your shit? The, the, this is the second record, right? So if, yeah. if Bob Rezrin says, hey, we're bringing in uh, these guys to, to lay some guitars down, you, you kind of let them, don't you? Yeah, but where were they? Yeah, they weren't even there for the recording of it. So Right. So if I'm, if I'm signed to a record company and I have a, an executive producer replacing me on a song, I'm getting worried I don't have a job. No kidding. Hey, I just looked up. Uh, Hunt, Steve Hunter played on like a lot of tracks on Little Ain't Enough. Oh yeah, uh, Wagner. I don't think Wagner was on there, but he actually co- did a lot of co-writes on that album. Did he? Okay. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Baby's on Fire, Tell the Truth, uh, Dogtown Shuffle, Baby's on Fire. If I didn't say that one, yeah, he he was all over that album. Cool. Interesting. Can't we? Very do good that songwriter, right? apparently. Cool. And hopefully we'll cover it on the uh, next uh, version of And the Podcast Will Rock once we finish off Van Halen. Let's get into some solo you gotta stuff. Get Todd. you got to get Todd for that stuff. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Big time. Awesome. Will do. All right. Let's keep going. So that was uh, Dick Wagner playing guitar. I hear it. I hear it. Hmm. Yeah, it's kind of getting muddy, you know, that everything's just kind of blending in together. I'm hearing a lot more kick drum now, which I really like. It, it doesn't have that big boomy sound. It's more punchy, but it sounds good for this kind of song. What I realized, too, is it's the effect on Steven's voice that's also, it sounds like he's not part of the song. You know, They've got a really weird uh, reverb, and I think maybe a tape delay on him. And it's just, I don't know, it's its making his voice a little bit muddy. And it just sounds like, you know, like the band recorded, and then he came in and did his thing instead of how they usually sound, which is like they were all in the same room at the same time. And they aren't going for a, a live recording effect here, so th- that's yeah. maybe what, what they're trying to accomplish there. I think that's it, yeah.
Albuquerque. I, I hear that on another podcast uh, on occasion. I think we should have called our podcast Albuquerque. Yeah, honestly. just <laughs> everyone would think it's a weird Al podcast, but even just like I took a left turn at Albuquerque. <laughs> I was just going to say Dick Wagner. Um, that I, sorry, I, you you mentioned Dick Wagner played that that particular solo, and I was still processing it, and I'm like, yeah. Like he played, uh, he played on a lot of Kiss stuff too. He was like the ghost, one of the ghost guitarists for Ace Frehley. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. I think on Sweet Pain, I think uh, he did the solo on it. And I'm like, yeah, that's that's the same guy for sure. I can really hear it now. Yeah, it's, yeah thanks for pointing that out. I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have caught that otherwise. He even did some on Revenge. I didn't know that. Like I know he was. Yeah, on, he did Revenge yeah, stuff. Yeah, Destroyer was his main record. But what did he do on Revenge? Mm-hmm. I, Revenge is one of my favorite Kiss records. Uh, I can't remember which one he did in Revenge. Guitar now. solo on Every Time I Look at You. There we go. Oh, God. Yeah, and one of the not-so-great tra- tracks off that record. But, but it, yeah, I mean, he was he was the Alice Cooper guy, right? Like, he played yep. all over Alice Cooper. Uh, yeah. But I can hear it now. Starting with Schools Out in 72, yep. all the way to Welcome to My Nightmare uh, in 2011. That's Welcome and to. Tasty. Yeah, oh, very tasty up, licks. Yeah. Yeah. Very tasty licks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, he even had a credit on Hey Stupid from 91. There we go. Billion Dollar Babies. He was on all over that record. School's out. Some all-time Yeah, classes. there's there's some great guitar work on Billion Dollar Babies, I have to no say. Kidding. Yeah. No kidding. No yeah. kidding. Excellent album. One of my favorites. Played with Lou Reed. Played with Meatloaf on his worst record, Midnight at the Lost and Found. How do you... How is he not talked about more often? I was kind of wondering the same thing. Like, <laughs> well, I don't think the the bands are really out there promoting that he was on their stuff, covering for their people, right? So they don't really go out of their way to make it like, "Hey, check out this guy who played on our album." It's more yeah. like, um, "Yeah, so we put an album out anyway." <laughs> you know, it's more like, "No, no, that was Ace playing. That was Ace playing." Yeah, yeah. he wrote uh, "Only Women Bleed" for Alice Cooper. Yep. Pretty big mm. hit for him. Really good guitar sound on that one too. Great guitar sound on yeah, that I one. Yeah, I love that one. Phenomenal. He did a stint with Ringo Starr and his All Star Band. What? Oh, that's another one who's getting a big a Vegas residency. Oh, nice. Yeah. Uh, there's no hey, meet that and I would greet, go though. see. Yeah. No meet and greet. Yeah, I didn't think so. Well, I mean, you just have to say who you are, Scott, and then exactly. they'll just like that's true. You don't have to pay for that shit. Yeah. Ringo knocks my tits off. <laughs> right this way, Mister Haskins. It's Scott Haskins. Oh, good that's morning, right. Mister Haskins. Scott, I love you. Was kissy kissy. We saw you naked on and the podcast will rock. That's right, notable nudist Scott Haskins. Notable nudist that's, performing yeah, nightly put, on the Las Vegas Strip. I put on extra clothes when I'm at home and no one's here. <laughs>
right, that's Train a cool kept ending. it rolling. Yeah, big concert that ending. That was a kiss solo. That was a kiss solo. Yeah, at the end. totally. Yeah, King of the Nighttime World. So here's my question. I've wow. never understood ever in my life why bands do this. The track is not listed as a live track on the album, right? So it's not like, you know, you have your bands and they're one song short, so they throw a live song on there. It does not say live. What is the point or benefit of pretending that a song is live when it's obviously not live? I don't get the concept. All, all I could dig up was that the band wanted to record it live because they were doing it in their live sets. And uh, Jack Douglas said, no, let's do it in the studio. And he grabbed some crowd noise from the concert for Bangladesh, which was in Madison Square Garden, George Harrison's famous concert, and put that underneath so it would seem like a live track. Why? Well, I couldn't tell you. Fuck well, Jack you... Douglas. That's all I have to say. <laughs> when, when you say they wanted to record it live, do you mean they just wanted to all be in the room at the same time and record it? Or they actually wanted to do it like in front of a crowd? I think they want to do it in front of a crowd. Hmm. And why not? That's that, that's kind like, of the, why not, man. Yeah. They're 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 a live band. They're yeah. one of those bands live. They're they they knock your socks off every time. Like why not do it live? Was it money? Was it a money thing? They couldn't capture it, or maybe like we're not going to bring you know you have to bring a truck out in those days and yeah oh yeah like, uh, not easy. It, yeah, it's not just pulling a feed off a soundboard way back then, right? Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah, that's bringing in like the Mobile Stones uh, truck and. Uh, I, I don't even I can't even imagine what that cost a day back then to do. And back and back then, this you said this was 70, 72? Is 74. Right? 74. 74. So Aerosmith wasn't quite big yet, or not like phenomenally big yet, right? Right. Right. So they probably didn't have the money and it was like, well, we'll just do it in the studio. Like we can, you know, it's it's far cheaper. Right. But it doesn't, but I, I guess the thing that gets to me is that you're making it sound like it was recorded live, but it doesn't say live on the name of the song. So it's obviously not done live. Yeah. Yeah. That's um, the part. I, and, and I mean, they would be lying if they said it was, but it's just weird that you would simulate that to not promote it as a live track. Well, you know what? Uh, next time you're talking to Jack Douglas or any of the boys from Aerosmith, uh, maybe yeah. check with them. Come on. We talk to Jack. I think we should talk to Jack. I think so, yeah. But in the meantime... <laughs> that's right. It's time to play America's Favorite Game Show. How many times it has Aerosmith performed Train Kept a Rollin'? Bonus well, points I'm if you can guess the uh, original gig that they performed, according to Setlist.fm, the very first time they played Train Kept a Rollin'. But how many times do you think they've ever played the song in their career? Scott Haskin, let's start with you. What do well, you think? let me just say, I'm, I'm excited to lose to an actual human instead of just losing <laughs> to myself, which I do every week. Uh, I think, I think obviously this is one that they would have wanted to play live a lot. I'm gonna guess that the first gig they played it at was that high school that we talked about, I think it was last week. Uh, but I'm I'm gonna say they probably played it a lot. I'm gonna say 370 times. 370. Okay. Uh, Sean McGinnity, how many times do you think Aerosmith have performed "Train Kept a Rolling"? Okay, so I know they've they, they've they've played thousands of concerts. Mm -hmm. They've likely played it at 75 percent of those concerts. Mm. Uh, maybe 60%. So let's see. 
Let's go with um, 885 times. 885 times. All right. Well, Sean, we get it. You guess right. Bam. Just like that. That's all there is to That's it. All there is to it. That's all there is to it. You are the closest without going over. The correct number is 1,008 times. Ooh, I almost said 1,000. Now, what year What year do you think was the first year they ever played it? I know you said uh, the high school. Uh, you didn't really give me a, a time frame, though. Scott, what year was that? Oh, 74, for sure. As soon as, as soon as they were, they decided to do the song, they were probably playing it on stage because they had to have wanted to do it. They had to have been playing it on stage before they recorded this album. And they recorded this because... album. Remember, they started recording this December 73. So rethink oh, your answer. Oh, 73. Okay, so I'm going to go 72. 72. Okay, Sean? 1973. Wait, what was their first album? 19... Uh, 1973 or 72? 73. I'm going to say 1970. 1970. 1970. November 6th, 1970. Nipmuc Regional High School in Menden, Massachusetts. Wow. There you go. Before they even had songs. Yep, they were doing Trank After All. And the last time they played it, of course, February 15th, 2020, at the Park Theater at Park MGM, Las Vegas, Nevada. There you go. Was Is it... Uh... So it wasn't part of their final uh, tour set? No, and they, well, they only done a, a handful of shows for for that tour before they had to cancel due to Steven's uh, throat. But yeah, they hadn't played that one yet. I'm surprised. Remember, this is all according to Setlist.fm, so take it with a, a grain of salt. But gentlemen, true. Let's, uh, let's finish off this episode here. We have a song here, and we have a mixtape. Now, Train Kept a Rollin' was a single uh, way back when in 1974. So if Train Kept a Rollin' is going on the mixtape, it's going on the all-time Aerosmith Top 9, which currently on side B of our mixtape, we have Let the Music Do the Talking, Chip Away the Stone, The Other Side, Home Tonight, Back in the Saddle, Eat the Rich, Mamakin, Fever, and Love in an Elevator, newly added last week. Uh, Sean, you're our, our special guest here tonight. We're very fortunate that you uh, joined us here this evening. And this is your dice, and this was your song. Train kept it rolling. So I ask you... Do you think this song deserves consideration for uh, this side of our mixtape? And if so, what song are you taking off? You should have music for this. You want me to play The Price is Right again? I have that. No, okay. no. Something you more like... Oregon Grinder? An Oregon Grinder? <laughs> Twilight Zone music or something. I don't know. Now, now, that I've, now that I've listened to it like in depth, I don't know if it goes on here. I, you know what? No, I don't think it goes on here at all. Okay, that's one. Uh, I, don't, I don't think it's it, it's good enough. It, it, I, I like the song, but I don't think it's good enough. Hmm. It, it, it's just it's 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 lacking a bit. Okay, Scott Haskin, what do you think? I think it's your turn to go first. Uh, well, I'm not going first. Sean technically I went first. I think it's first. your turn to go second. All right, I defer. Scott, what do you think? <laughs> so crafty that Corey is. <laughs> Who's the lawyer here? <laughs> yeah. Uh, you, well, first of all, I, I have to say, whenever you start reading the deep cuts as the singles, I have to agree with you because I look at the list and I'm like, how is Hearts Done Time not a single? How is No More, No More not a single? You know, it's it, it the list looks like they should be singles. Rats in the cellar. I, I, that should have been a single. Yeah. 100%. I, I have to agree with Sean. This is, as we say every week, this list is getting tougher and tougher to say something needs to come off because we're listening to something that's better. 
Um, I like the concept of this song. I I like that I know more about it and I understand how it was put together. And if I'm not mistaken, when we covered this live, I think John Mariano said, just wait until we do the studio version because it's way different. Um, I, I don't think it stacks up to the songs that we have on there now. Okay. Uh, my vote is not relevant, but uh, I was probably leaning no as well. Uh, I'm kind of looking at the list. What I love Train Captain Rolling, first of all, live, it's absolutely perfect. It's a great fucking rocking tune. I'm so happy I saw him do it live in Minot way back when, when I saw him on the uh, the Blue Army tour. But I'm thinking, what what would I take off? Well, I don't know, Eat the Rich. Eat the Rich is, is, is good. Uh, you know, in live, it's definitely not as good as Train. Uh, I, I'm kind of turned off by the fact that that's not Joe and Brad playing guitar. Yeah. And it, it's a cover. And we, we had that discussion before, right? Do you put a cover on the mixtape when you're talking about Aerosmith? No. These are the songs that best no. encapsulates Aerosmith. So mm-hmm. you, you can make the case for a really good cover. Uh, I don't know if this is it. And the band, you know, we had two guys not in the band play on it. And they were standouts. They were great. But, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, I'm with you guys. That That's three no's uh, for Train Kept Rolling. If we were doing, if we had a yeah. third mixtape that was all live cuts, Train makes it every single oh, time, I think. Oh, God, yeah. yeah. Hell Yeah. yeah. Well, we we did have it on the the mixtape when we had the live mixtape, and I I am looking and I did mark it in green, so it was one that I I very much liked. Uh, yeah, it's it's a shame. I think it had a lot of potential, but you're right. It's it's like when you find out that they brought in ringers, it it does really kind of take away from, and and especially this song in particular because it's just chock full of guitar solo. And they'd been playing. This was like this was years. in their set. Like yeah. this was in their set from like before they were signed. Yeah. Yeah. And they couldn't even show up to play. Like just keep it off the album until people show up to play. I don't know. It, I I, I get turned off the minute Corey brought that up. It just it, it it just shot the song down for me. Yeah. I mean they played the the, the ringers played really well. Sure. But this is an Aerosmith album. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it's supposed to be anyway. But it, what's Bob Ezrin thinking too? Like, is he thinking Joe Perry and Brad Redford can't handle uh, the guitar oh, solos on Trink? Yeah, like, come on. Like, even well, in I 74, wonder, these guys are exceptional guitar players. I wonder if they did lay down tracks and he didn't like them. It's said, entirely you know, possible. Yeah. Bob was such a perfectionist. Mm-hmm. And, and and Brad and Joe were very, not sloppy is not the right word, but they, they got in a groove and they felt things. And that might not have been technical enough for Bob. Yeah. Because Bob is yeah. so specific and precise. Mm-hmm. I have a love-hate relationship with Bob. You know, I, I, I think he's an excellent producer, but I think sometimes he should work with the band more to use the actual members of the band to record their parts. Yep. Yeah. And sometimes he's he, just like, you know, too much cocaine, I guess. If, I if he was executive producer, how hands-on was he with the, the actual situation? Because he's not the producer. So he might have just walked in and said that's crap i'm calling these other guys we're gonna have them come in i mean it could have just been as simple as that um i'm i'm a big fan of bob's i think he's done some great work but you know no one's going to be perfect 100 percent of the time it's just not possible and uh, jack douglas was still a pretty new uh producer uh, i think around this time too um he worked with john Lennon quite a bit uh, but he wasn't actually producing those records he just kind of worked on them so Uh, bob would have had more experience i think at that point yeah and probably you know if, you, if i'm on this this is what i'm this is what we're doing 
How do you yes, just yes. start as a producer and get John Lennon? I mean, that's well, he, like... <laughs> he, was, uh, he was engineering for John Lennon. He did uh, Imagine, uh, uh, that, okay. that album in 1971. Oh, he actually did Imagine? He did, yeah. Well, as, a, as an engineer, he's really good because wow. that record sounded fantastic. Well, then That's, after that, that record's very oh, awesome sounding. Yeah. And then after that, he but did uh, put... Patty Smith, Blue Oyster Cult, and the New York Dolls, Cheap Trick. Wow. And, uh, it was actually Holy. it was his work on New York Dolls uh, when Bob Ezrin said, You should consider becoming a record producer. Huh. And I think that, his first record that he actually list. produced was Get Your Wings. Because how would you how would you produce John Lennon? How are you going to tell him, No, no, no. Exactly. You're not doing that in A. How did like, how did George Martin do it? I have no idea. Like, yeah. If you watch the uh, the the Peter Jackson documentary, get it back. Like George Martin's just kind of there. Like he's not producing anything. Oh, yeah. Like the Beatles no, are running really. their own session. George is there yeah. to hit like the record button and to hit stop. That's what he does. And then and then he got to the point where he's like, I'm going to add a string section. I'm going to do this and that. But <laughs> yeah. for the most part, you're not telling the Beatles what they're doing. No, not not at that point anyway. No, no, especially not at that point. All right, gentlemen, I think that just about does it here for tonight. Train kept it rolling. Good track. Aerosmith Classic, not on our mixtape. So let's get ready to wrap things up. Sean McGinnity, one more time, why don't you tell the folks about uh, the Sean Geek and Fast Fred podcast and where they can find it. It is me, Todd, and a host of other co-hosts. We release an episode every Monday at 5 a.m. Weird time, I don't... I, I, I do mine but... at 5, too. It, it, it's a Canadian thing. Oh. It must be. <laughs> yeah, I think it's a Canadian thing. And um, you can find us at seanmcginnity.ca. I won't say it as sexy as my brother, but seanmcginnity.ca, all social media, at Sean Geek Podcast, everywhere on everything, including that Blue Sky one, which is awesome. And uh, yeah, tune in every week for us. Check it out, folks. It is a fantastic show. You are not going to regret it. And you're not going to regret listening to any of the other shows uh, on the Deep Dive Podcast Network. Scott Haskin, tell the fine folks about that. Well, we do have quite a few. Aside from uh, this show, Backtracks Aerosmith Revisited, we have Backtracks theme music with one Corey Morissette and John Mariano. We have Corey and Mark do And the Podcast Will Rock, winding down the first generation, and we're all kind of on pins and needles to see what they do next. If only I knew one of the hosts and could find out. Corey also does another show with Kevin called The Ultimate Catalog Class, winding down. Well, by the time this airs, they will be in season two. Uh, as you heard earlier, going over Metallica, going to be very interesting. Kevin uh, also does the Tom Petty Project, and he does the Seaside Pod Review with his buddy Randy. I have Uriah Heap, the Magician's Podcast. Nate and John at the Deep Purple Podcast. The Simple Man at Skinnered Reconsidered. Terry T-Bone Mathley at T-Bone's Prime Cuts. He has dropped, I, I listened to, he was a guest on the Deep Purple podcast this week, and he said he dropped the On the Other Side. So he is oh. back to T-Bone's Prime Cuts is the name of his show. You can also listen to Riot Sabbath Bloody Podcast, Paul, Joe, and David at In the Lap of the Pods. We have Andy and Matt at Hawk Binge, Eric and Jonathan at Maiden A to Z, Daniel and Josh at, Dire, Josh at Diary of the Mad Men, The Ultimate Aussie Podcast, Ben and Sam at Universally Speaking, The Red Hot Chili Peppers Podcast, George and Hattie at The Judas Priest Cast, Clay and Rye at North by South Podcast, Greg and Jonathan at So Far, So Pod, So What? All things Megadeth. Quinn at And Volume for All, general heavy metal stuff. Sav, Nick, Steven, Mark at the Rock Roulette Podcast. Gonna get ready for some Chaz, because we've got Chaz and Greg at Regarding Lulu, Chaz and Shats at Rush Rash, and Chaz and Wolfie at Regarding Roger. Roger Waters and his insane, let's remake an album I already made project. 
Of course, outside of the Deep Dive Podcast Network, we have our good friends. As you heard, Sean Geek and Fast Fret. We have Eric at Booked on Rock, Ken Knapsack at Pop Rock and Radio, and the ultimate Deep Dive Podcast, Pot of Thunder. That's right. And for all things Scott Haskin, uh, you can find him uh, naked on the strip, performing uh, nightly, uh, notable <laughs> nudist Scott Haskin, or you can go to scotthaskin.com. Uh, please, somebody out there, tell Debbie Gibson that Scott misses her. And, uh, you know, she's... she's- just on the other side of town, guys. I know. Go, go, take her out to the to the Hard Rock or uh, uh, the House <laughs> of Blues at the Mandalay Bay. Man, they make the best cheeseburgers in the world. Was that a euphemism? I'm not really <laughs> sure. <laughs> but, oh, but talking about Scott Haskin, no, it's not. Rock. Yeah, there is nothing hard about that, man. But until next time, on behalf of Sean McGinnity <laughs> and Scott Haskin, my name is Corey Morissette. Thank you very much, and as always, let's give the final word to Stephen Tyler. Yeah.